0: Such a good, good thing to know, and I wonder how much of the church is really knowing that today. You know, it's been a while since we uh, have been in the Gospel of John. So consider that uh, what we're going to study today, which is actually we're going to read verses one through six of John sixteen, this is where we left off before the holidays, and uh, so we've. we've been away for quite a few weeks so consider that this is going to be more than just a review we are going to review where we've been but it's a review with a purpose and I think that you'll see the purpose as we go along because once again the things that Jesus was telling his disciples on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane and of course eventually to the cross were things that were not only going to affect the disciples, the apostles Directly, and in the very, very near future, just hours away, but it, were, it was things that he was saying to them that is going to affect us in the here and in the now, in the present, as we're looking for the coming of Jesus Christ again. So with that in mind, let's read verses 1 through 6 of our text in uh, John 16, and then let's buckle up. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. The longest night that began for us In chapter 13, when Jesus and his disciples gathered for the Passover supper, continues as they leave the upper room and head toward the Garden of Gethsemane, and eventually Jesus alone to the cross. That night began with Jesus lowering himself to wash their feet in response to their contention among themselves as to which of them We're going to have chief positions in the kingdom in spite of his repeated warnings that he was to be crucified. He gave these warnings in Galilee weeks before he arrives in Jerusalem and he gives the warnings again. Mark chapter 9 verses 30 through 34. They departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, still in the Galilee region. He came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Fast forward to Mark chapter 10. Because not only is there a time difference, but a distance difference. Verse 32, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them and they were amazed and as they followed they were afraid and he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him saying behold we go up to Jerusalem and the son of man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles and they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him and the third day he shall rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now remember what Jesus just told them. And they said, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we desire. And he said unto them, what would you that, that I should do for you? They said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. And of course, in Matthew's Gospel, we're also told that Mama was along for the ride, trying to lobby for her sons to sit on Jesus' right hand on his left, because they were for sure, they were certain that Jesus would, in short days ahead, sit on the throne and defeat the Romans. But what did Jesus do on that night, the longest night? Jesus got on his hands and on his knees, and he washed the feet of his disciples to remind them to burn this truth into their minds and into their hearts that he called them to serve, not to rule. He called them to serve, not to rule. And this is the reason why I've begun here today. Because the church has suffered through the centuries, all because so many of its leaders have been consumed by the passion for power and for greatness. From this self-consuming passion, there has arisen powerful organizations and high offices and positions that were created to satisfy men's worldly and selfish ambitions, using the name of Jesus Christ to serve themselves rather than to humbly serve Christ and to serve others. Significantly, Jesus would then speak of his betrayer there in chapter 13 which brought about great confusion among the disciples who never once suspected Judas Iscariot, but each wondered among themselves if it could be any one of them. And once Judas Iscariot left to do his bidding, the Lord's tone changed in speaking to those disciples that remained. His tone changed to one of tenderness and one of love. For he encouraged them to love one another as he had loved them. In confronting, correcting, and comforting Peter, who, by the way, was just being Peter, when he would tell Jesus, I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus had to correct him and in effect comfort him because he said to him Peter no you're not but what you are going to do is deny me three times so in confronting and correcting and comforting Peter and the remaining disciples Jesus pointed to their future home this is how he comforted them He pointed to their future home, the home for all true believers, the home for his bride. And he said, as we've often read in John 14, verses 1 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Saying many, many other things. Eventually, Jesus would say, let's go. And leaving the upper room and moving closer to the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would then go on to speak about his Father. He would speak about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. He would speak about his peace, being the true vine, about abiding in him and he in them. He would speak to them about being chosen of him to bear fruit, to bear more fruit, to bear much fruit. But then in John 15, verse 18, after encouraging them to love one another, Jesus would now now talk about hatred. He would talk about hatred. And he said in verse 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Take note of that phrase. They know not him that sent me. He says that often to his disciples about the world and about the religious. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. They have, no, they have no way to hide from it. They have no way to cover it up. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Seven times he uses the word hatred in one form or another. And it would seem to some an incredible thing that anyone could even hate Jesus Christ and his followers. But remember, that was then. And that is the exact situation before us today. That is the exact situation that we see happening in the world today toward the true believer in Jesus Christ. And what is even more perplexing to some is that that hatred actually comes from religious people. Let me interject here very quickly that if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, if you know that you are bound toward heaven and bound to heaven because of Jesus, that you're forgiven of all of your sins because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. If you are indeed a true believer in Jesus Christ, you're not a religious person. Because it is not about religion, it is about relationship. So understand what I'm saying here. Understand the distinction. And consider that in a few hours in our our text, in a few hours the religious leaders of Israel would condemn the Messiah of Israel and cry out for his blood. But it was something that the Lord taught from the very beginning of his earthly ministry. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Think about the Beatitudes that uh, are given by Jesus to the crowds that are listening to him on that hill. In verses 10 through 12 of Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad." For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. We would not be alone in being persecuted by the religious, for even the prophets themselves were persecuted to the point of death in many cases. Later on in verse 43, Jesus said, You have, have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Please notice... The hallmark of faith here. The hallmark of the kingdom of God. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. That's not religion, folks. That's relationship. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And persecute you. Man you cannot do that in the flesh. I mean you can't even begin to do that in the flesh. First thing the flesh wants to do. Is put up your dukes. I'm gonna punch somebody's lights out. And Jesus says no. Love your enemy. Do good to them. Pray for them. Man, Lord. <laughs> yeah, it requires a change of heart and a change of mind. Matthew 10, Jesus said to his disciples, as he sends them out. He said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. See, Jesus never said, listen, go out there, man. Everything's going to be cool. You just have faith in faith, man. You can, you, you, you know, you can climb mountains. You can destroy them. You know, no, he said, no, you're going out in the midst of wolves. Jesus told them the truth. Let's understand that. Be ye, therefore, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We like the first part. Sometimes we struggle with the second. Be wise as serpents. Be harmless as doves. But beware of men. Oh, that's a mouthful. Beware of men. For they will deliver you up to the councils. That's a religious council, by the way. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Just ask the Apostle Paul for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But even in what we can call a Christian's nuclear family, there will be persecution towards the true believer. This is happening in many families today. What Jesus says in verses 32 through 36 of Matthew 10, he says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. I think we ought to take note of that, that it's best to confess Christ. Amen? Amen. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. We ought to take note of that too. But then he says this, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is not Jesus saying, This is why I came. I came to divide. No. But he knew that his coming would do that very thing. His very coming would do that very thing within even homes and families. But look at verse 36, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Oh, how some of us have struggled with that. When Christ has changed our lives, we change. The family doesn't understand it sometimes. That's why we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves so that we can show the light of the glory of Christ to those who need Jesus in our families. And then in Matthew chapter 23, when even in denouncing the Pharisees as he did throughout this whole chapter, notice what he says in verses 34 and 35. To them, he says, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men, and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify. And some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Man, Jesus didn't miss anything from A to Z, did he? covered it all and reveal the very heart of those religious people and we certainly know from our studies in the gospel of John how many times the religious establishment not only opposed Jesus but sought to kill him six times up to this point in the gospel of John and that's just in the gospel of John So, a pattern is emerging. A pattern emerges in the Gospels of the religious leader's approach to Jesus. You can see this in in each of the Gospels. The pattern is this. It begins with resentment. It goes on into hatred. And then it is followed by open opposition against the Lord. That is the pattern of the religious. begins with resentment, it leads to hatred, and then open opposition. But none of this should have been a surprise to his disciples. None of it at all. They saw it for three and a half years. They saw it. They saw it in small bits and pieces and sometimes they saw it in large, large portions. But they saw it. So here's the question that we need to ask. Not just something that affects the apostles, but actually us as well. How would they then live? They, the disciples, the apostles. How would they then live in a hostile world filled with opposition after the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. Because Jesus kept talking about the fact that he was going to rise from the dead and then he was going to send them forth. They were still going to be his representatives. They were still going to be the ones who had to share the love of Christ with the world and the light of the glory of Christ to everyone, especially those who are without Christ. How would they then live in a hostile world filled with this opposition? that they would have to carry on and deal with until he returns. Well, the answer then is clear in John 15, verse 26, where Jesus said, But when the Comforter is come, when the comforter who is the holy spirit when the comforter is come whom i will send unto you from the father even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the father he shall testify of me and you shall bear you shall and you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning And what you notice in verses 26 and 27 here is that all three persons of the Godhead are mentioned in verse 26. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send, Jesus, unto you from the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all mentioned here together in that one verse. Even the Spirit of Truth who proceedeth from the Father, there he is again, the Spirit of Truth, the Father, he shall testify of me. Twice it's, uh, we see this Godhead mentioned by Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead. What is that telling us here? All three persons of the Godhead are mentioned here in verse 26. And what is most significant is that the Holy Spirit, being the third person of the Godhead, should remind us that we who are believers have the fullness of God dwelling in us. We have the fullness of God dwelling in us. We have the word of God with us. The word of God that is not only in a book, but is the word of God as we read it, is staying in our minds, it's going down into our hearts. We have the word of God, the spirit of God. What else do we need to confront this present evil world? But let me just say that if we don't have the Spirit dwelling within us, we wouldn't be able to serve the Lord in this present evil world. We wouldn't be. It is impossible. If we do not have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, we won't be able to serve the Lord in this world. The Holy Spirit comes to us when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we name the name of Christ, and when we call upon the Lord to fill us to overflowing with His Spirit. To be baptized in his spirit. But to have the spirit of God with us. And not only with us. And remember this. The spirit of God is not only among us. And with us or upon us. But he's in us. The supernatural power of God is with us. Why? Because we live in, a, in the present evil world. And it's pretty evil in fact it's doubly evil because Jesus said as in the days of Noah and Lot so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man those days were so evil that God destroyed the world and everything that was in it except for eight people and some animals And there's something that we also need to remember about this connection we have with the Holy Spirit and that He has with us. And that is that we are to walk in the Spirit, we are to worship in the Spirit, and we are to witness in the Spirit. The Bible is very clear. We are to walk in the Spirit, we are to worship in the Spirit, we are to witness in the Spirit. Remember the three W's here. Don't forget, the Lord really puts stuff together really nice for us, doesn't he? So we can remember. Because some of us are cabezones, you know, we're just like, don't remember some things. Of course, the older we get, sometimes we just kind of like, you look in a mirror and you say, oh, who's that? Oh, that's, that's me, okay. We walk in the spirit. Galatians chapter five, verse 16. And and, and take note of this, this I say then, Paul says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, that's pretty clear. If you walk in the spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if people are having problems with the lust of the flesh, as many people do in this day and age, then how do you combat that? Well, walk in the spirit. Repent and and give it to the Lord and and, and then say, Lord, fill me with your spirit and let me walk in your spirit. Because if I walk in your spirit, then I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I mean, A very simple little thing there, uh, kind of added here. But we walk in the spirit, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. How about worshiping in the spirit? Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Verses to remember here for us. Paul says, for we are the circumcision, that of course being the circumcision of the heart, as it were. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So there's there's another uh, uh, contrast given to us. We walk in the spirit, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We worship in the spirit, we have no confidence in the flesh. All confidence in the flesh goes away because we are worshiping the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you. I tell you what, that does a lot to destroy my confidence in the flesh. If I know that I'm following the one who has created all things. Amen? Uh, Okay. It's almost 10 o'clock. You need to be awake. You need to be awake. And then how about witnessing in the spirit? The encouragement comes from Jesus himself in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 before he ascends into heaven after his resurrection and he spends some time with the disciples and he says to them here in Acts 1 verse 8 but you shall receive power dunamis after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. You see, we can't witness without the Holy Spirit. We can't worship without being in the Spirit. We can't walk a true walk of faith without walking in the Spirit. So, that's what we need in dealing with the hostilities of this present evil world. But it's sad that I have to speak about the fact that much of the opposition to true Christianity today comes from those who only profess Christianity in a nominal sense. Back in January of 2014, the Pew Research Center, some of you have probably heard of that, the Pew, P-E-W, which is like the pews in churches, The Pew Research Center, a respected think tank based in Washington, D.C., published a report entitled, Religious Hostilities Reach Six-Year High. Religious Hostilities Reach Six-Year High. Now, this particular survey recorded the steady growth of religious persecution around the world and found that social hostilities involving religion are currently most frequently directed toward people of the Christian faith. Now, the sharpest increase was obviously in the Middle East. It was centered around, at that time, centered around the 2010-2011 Arab Spring, if I many you remember the Arab Spring. There were some people in, in the administration at, the, at, the, the, at that time that thought the Arab Spring was a great thing. It wasn't. But that's for another time. And then of course after that came the rise of ISIS. And then of course we saw the persecution. We saw the beheadings. We saw the way that they attacked Christians in their own churches. In Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, and in many other places. So that was an obvious thing. That was a religious thing too by the way. Don't let anybody fool you. The fact of the matter is Islam is not just a religious group, it is also a, a religious political group. You can't separate it. This is the reason why when people say, you know that that uh, the 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 good Muslim and, and the good Christian, you know, we worship the same God. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not the same God. Two different, totally different gods. And when diplomats begin to try to say that Islam is a, is a, is a, is a religion of peace, they don't know what they're talking about. This is all diplomacy, but it is not truth. We've talked about it many times and, and, and touched upon the specifics But anyway, we go on. So we know that. That's an obvious obvious attack. But another report from the non-denominational group Open Doors stated that the number of Christians martyred for their faith around the world nearly doubled in 2013. And again, I want you to remember the dates and where our our administration was and which administration was during that time. This, This is very important. I'll tell you why. Because another of Pew Research's findings detailed an an escalation in the United States from the lowest category of government restrictions on Christian expression. It went from the lowest category. When? Mid-2009. It went from the lowest category of government restrictions on Christian expressions at at roughly the beginning of the previous administration to an advanced category in only three years. In only three years. How telling is that? That trend, by the way, continued upward during the remainder of that administration. My question is, whatever happened to one nation under God? Whatever happened? Time does not permit the number of individual bullet points detailing mistreatment of Christian students. If we were to just take that particular aspect of the number of uh, of, of details of mistreatment of Christian students by school officials curtailing the students' free speech rights simply because of their faith and their family's faith in Christ. I mean, we could spend a whole afternoon detailing them. I have a whole book about that thick. From those who are, are uh, in, in the Christian legal defense uh, funds and, and all. Uh, of every case where students have been attacked for their faith in Christ. You know, it says one, it says one person said, faith has always been persecuted by unbelief. Faith has always been persecuted by unbelief. And, and I don't even wanna go there when, when, and talk about ignorance. Well, that's another matter. But I have to share one brief account with you. I do wanna share one brief account. I think it was the one that, that, that struck me the most. And there are many of them and there are many of them that can strike you, but I mean, this this one struck me the, the, the most. It was an incident that involved a California teacher who threw away a gift from a first grader. First grader, six years old maybe? Threw away a gift from a first grader because it was spiritual in nature. And then the teacher said, and this was from the report, the teacher said, Jesus is not allowed in school and proceeded to throw the present in the trash in front of the student. Six years old. Now, the reporter of this incident noted that the professing Christian principal sided with the teacher in that matter. You see that what concerns me about matters such as this is not so much that agnostic or atheistic teacher acting in ignorance. It is the professing Christian not standing for Christ and for the truth and for simple decency toward a child that will be affected by that kind of stupidity forever. or at least for a long time. And I want you to remember the Apostle Paul's statement in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. Some of you might remember that over the last three years, I've, this, this, this was my one-string guitar, this passage. Studied it a lot. Talked about it a lot. But I brought it up because we are living in these times. Paul said this, know also that in the last days perilous, dangerous, difficult times will come or shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. All that list we would say, oh yeah, amen, that's the way it is today. But it's the next phrase, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. From such, turn away. From all such that are mentioned in this list, but especially those in verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. As we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching, that day when the Lord will gather his bride, the church, at the rapture, the more we will see the great apostasy, the more we will see the departure from the true faith continue. As Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, when he says, "...now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits." And doctrines of devils. Let's stop there for just a second. Those who shall depart from the faith doesn't mean that they left their churches. May I tell you why I say that? Because some of you probably have read uh, recently that uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California, which is a new Apostolic Reformation type of church, they're a church that do that does things really differently, you know. But uh, they, they have adopted something from <clears throat> a group in Australia called Christ Alignment. And, and what these people have brought over to this particular church is this use of destiny cards. Destiny cards that are designed similar to tarot cards of the world. And their justification in using these particular cards is that they're going to use them for witnessing at New Age festival events, where they, and I quote, uh, go in undercover. Now, when did Jesus tell us to go undercover, to share the gospel? And they would set up a booth at a New Age festival. And people would come along and say, well, listen, we, we, uh, they look like tarot cards, you know, it's, looks like it, smells like it. <laughs> Probably is not you know. Oh, but they're destiny cards. They have love destiny cards. And then, you know, they want to, they want to minister to the, to the, the new agers who, who get visions of animals, so they have animal cards and love cards. And where is where's the gospel in all of this? Where is Jesus in all of this? Oh, but they're undercover. How do you witness the true gospel in this manner? Because the last time I checked, tarot cards or any kind of cards of that nature is linked to divination. And divination in the scriptures is an abomination unto God. So you don't have to leave. You you can depart from the faith without leaving a church. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if the church adopts it, then we're in real trouble. Let's go on. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. That's a lie and hypocrisy, by the way, isn't it? To go undercover at a New Age festival acting like if you're New Age... Well, the fact of the matter is Bethel Temple, or I should say Bethel Church, uh, is, is very much kind of tied into emerging other things. And, and, and so there, there's a lot of new agey stuff anyway. It's not about the gospel, really. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. That's another thing, forbidding to marry. Who does that? for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer Paul talks about uh, apostasy in Second Thessalonians 2 verse 3 let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling a- a- away first the falling away or, the, or, or that uh, the apostasy falling away from the faith and when that happens that's something to see because the man of sin will be revealed the son of perdition that is the beast or as John calls him the Antichrist. So may I say that religion is not going away. It's just changing locations. Secular government administrations in recent years have used faith-based groups for uh, for the purposes of, of drawing people from various denominations, churches, synagogues, mosques, and other religious groups to work together for the good of society. That that might sound good, but let me give you a different perspective. It's also a good way of preparing for the merging of a one-world religion to work alongside a one-world government to be led by a one-world man. And by the way, I say this without repentance. I say this without repentance. You mix... You mix anything quote-unquote faith-based or religious with government and you're in trouble. At least in this particular scenario. We would hope that some of our legislators are believers in Jesus Christ and that they would be able to see these things and see through them. Look at all the scandals that they're having to deal with every day because it's coming from a deeper state, principalities and powers, and rulers of darkness. So this is leading to what the scriptures allude to. That the greatest threat ever raised against the authentic, genuine, true body of believers in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be and already are religious professing Christians. Religious professing Christians. And it's not about the garb either, folks. I've got to share this quickly. But it's not about the garb. It's not about what you wear, it's who you know. You need to know Jesus, and you need to be known by Him. This past Wednesday night, I was speaking about the priests. minister and will minister in the Messianic Temple in the Millennium. God has expressly told them to wear linen in their service within the inner court. But once they come out of the inner court, they're to take off their linen and put on regular clothing to to minister to the people. For this one major reason, it is to show their humility and not to use their garb to say that they're better than anybody else. So When you start putting on collars and all kinds of other accoutrements, you're putting the attention on yourself, truly not on God and not on Christ. And so, guess what? We just got to our text. And Jesus said, I am going to come back to this. OK, just let you know. This part what? These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. I want to talk about that word in just a moment. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. The Muslims, the Muslims think that they're doing God a service by killing Christians and killing Jews. And killing others. But the time is coming because even the Jewish religious leaders did that to Jesus. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And they think that they're doing God a service in that. The same goes for those who are in the visible church. What people think is Christianity is just Christendom. It's not confession of Jesus, it's profession of Jesus. But then he goes on and says, and these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. There it is again. They do it because they don't know the Father and they don't know me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. If we take anything from this text today, at least for today, we'll come back to it next time. But if we take anything from this text today, consider the heart of Jesus toward his church. The loving heart of Jesus, the merciful heart, the gracious heart of Jesus for his church. When he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. And that word offended in the Greek is the word skandalizo, from which we get the English word scandal. So what he's saying to them is that you should not be offended, that you should not be scandalized, that you should not be entrapped, that you should not be tripped up or stumbled by sin, stumbled by apostasy or any displeasure whatsoever. Don't be stumbled by the things that you see. It's going to happen. But know this. I hate to jump down to the last verse of this chapter, but I'm going to. Because Jesus says, these things have I spoken unto you. He's just used that phrase, but now he uses it again. And he says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have shalom, peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Folks, that's our hope. He has already overcome the world. And we're going to come to the table of communion today. And we're going to take a simple piece of bread. It's not going to turn into the body of Jesus. It's a simple piece of bread. With a little cup of juice. That's just to remind us of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf that we could have never done for ourselves amen and I pray that you will remember these things because we're living in the last days whether you want to believe that or not it's up to you just know that the things that Christ has said that the apostles have said that the prophets have said are all coming to pass and in a greater way than ever before.